Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast where I'm definitely not being harassed. I am Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, and I'm questioning everything I believe in in the campaign, The Beckons of the Herald of Steel, with the adventure, the elders, in the quest, the last rites. Our party had met uh, quite an interesting episode, the last episode, where they dealt with the uh, the resurrection of Antithan... I'll just say it under my breath from now on. More <laughs> ambiguities. But anyway, that character was resurrected. The party found that they couldn't remove the curse from Sirithal the Were-Tiger, and they had met a couple of interesting halflings, Caracol and Margay. Uh, captured that creepy guy with the bad teeth that everybody was so scared of. Um, and they officially heard from uh, Antithan... That the... Uh, what she had seen while in the dark caves beneath Boltzcrag Peak, um, what she had seen while among the uh, aspect of failure, she had encountered some strange man-like beast with a demonic sort of looking demeanor to it or something like that, some fiendish appearance, but also entirely encompassed in steel. Um, apparently spoke of war, the end of times and all that typical, you know, BBEG stuff that everybody's come to know and love. Uh, she said that she'd be willing to speak to the queen about whatever she had seen, um, but wanted to speak with her brother. And thus the party, after having dealt with a very sticky snowman covered in signage, including I'm dumb. And, uh, they had decided they were going to take their were tiger elfin friend off to the city of Aeseris to go speak with the Shaysir, who apparently know a thing or two about these strange gates. Um, so now, I guess it's still night-night times, and the party has probably gone to bed after dealing with the nonsense with the uh, halflings and all that. Um, and so I suppose morning comes, the party hears from your elven accomplice here, the were-tiger himself, that the trip out to Aeseris is probably going to be about five days of travel through the woods to get there if they hustle. Um, would anybody like to pick up any supplies? Sirithal mentions that he is more than willing to attempt to provide food along the way. But being the latter half of winter, it's not likely that you guys are going to run into too much uh, easy game. I might get a few more rations. Okay. Uh, me as well. Were there any other things you guys wanted to do within the city of Glory Wake? Or did you want to just hightail and hip hop out of here? I think I was just going to make sure that the um, that the high priest was in good hands. And actually, how is Shereel doing? Um, well, I mean, we can just say that when you go there to go check in on the high priest, you can go see him. I mean, he was there at the uh, at the big meeting when they showed the resurrection had taken place, and he seemed to be doing fine enough, uh, just as amazed and dumbfounded as everybody else uh, at the resurrection. But he seemed to be so caught up with his little ministry and all his little friends there that I say little friends, he's like 40. But anyway, all his little pals at summer camp, uh, it seemed like <laughs> at Sunshine Camp, where they're walking on sunshine, uh, it seemed like he was doing fine and they were in good spirits as if emboldened by the miracle at hand and probably lifting 
a lot of the, the team morale during these orcish attacks. So he seemed to be doing fine. Okay. I'm Did wondering. Them specifically I'm wondering. Or? No, I, just, I, I was just curious because I know last time we saw him, he wasn't doing that great. But now I'm wondering should Anton's name transition from Anton of Glory Wake to Anton Lightbringer? Because I feel like he basically got told by like the high priest, like I think if he stayed like the with the church, it would have made one sense to be glory wake, but clearly he's more of a globe trotter. That's that's more the reason why you'd be known as Anton of Glory Wake, but your title is the Lightbringer. So even though I don't role play it that way, I mean when you walk into the church, people say things like, you know, light be with you, lightbringer, or like blessings of the illuminator, lightbringer. You know what I mean? Okay. Much in the exact same way that you only call the high priest Thrail, like the, you know, high priest, they refer yeah. to him as Lightbringer. Well, if if Anton doesn't want to go talk to the high priest, Jarzak will. Uh-oh. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that one bit. Send a chaperone. I knew he wanted to rest. I don't have a reason to bother him. Well, now Jarzak apparently does. So anyway, let's see how you just changed the religion for the entire continent. Go ahead, Jarzak. What are you doing? You want to speak with the high priest yourself? <laughs> no, it's fine. I'll let him rest too, I guess. Okie dokie. I mean, when you guys leave in the morning, he seems like he'd be willing to wake up and go say hi, dilly hodily. Um, I do think while we're still in town, there are still some of like the Queen's Knights and stuff in the area, right? Keeping Glory Wake safe? Yeah, after the the... from Amroth, yeah. Uh, I think Clico wants to pull aside. Um, our ranger friend isn't still in town, is he? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you could probably find Jezorn, but he's very busy with the militia as well. Now that you guys had handed over the battle plans, they've been hard at work preparing battlements in different locations and sending rangers off. So if you did meet with him, he would probably be very, very busy. Uh, mostly I just wanted to have him do an introduction for us for or for Klika. But uh Klika is gonna just sort of uh approach maybe one or two of the knights uh at some point when it looks like they're taking a break or something. And she's going to ask them about what the typical knighting ceremony is. Uh I will say this much there are no knights here. It is just like soldiers. Fuck. Okay. Does it look like any do would any of the priests here be have attended a knighting ceremony or anything like that then um what i would say uh just historically speaking if you want you can roll a history for it i don't know if you have it or not with my new plus two to history as opposed to the plus one to history yep and that brought my total up to a four yeah, so I mean, you ask around to the people you think might know about it, and after speaking with the, uh, with uh, I imagine a couple of soldiers who seem to be sort of grognards themselves, that old French term for the old guys who don't do much, but they're still like enlisted in the military, but nobody actually has them do work because they're too old. So a couple of these old coots are just kind of sitting around telling the young ones what to do as they're preparing battlements, and uh, you ask them about knighting, and they essentially tell you in the least rude way possible that there aren't knights under the queen and that the knights of the kingdom before have either either fought and died, have gone into some form of retirement, but it doesn't happen often at all. And for the most part, it's more of like an honorary title that sort of gives you a level of lenience in the kingdom and a level of like respect due to you. But it's not like it's like some big conscripted thingy. So every ceremony is going to be different because it belongs to a different person. Some are private. Some of them happen in the heat of the moment, but having a big ceremony for one's probably going to be something that could be done as a political statement, especially considering this queen. All right. Uh, If that's the case, Klika is also going to find I guess a local barber or something and see if she can get some tools from them for cutting hair. Oh Lord. Okay. So getting professional like beauticians, like scissors, razors and the like, as well as the prepper preparation stuffs here. Um, you end up across like a, a military guy who does this sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Like the, mm-hmm. the old military barbers there. Um, and you're able to get a set off them. You can bum it if you'd like to for like 
15 gold pieces to have really nice, well-made stuff. Perfect. Cool. All right. And so now, Norhill, you got something to say? Yes, I do. Uh, mine's <laughs> a little bit more mundane. Uh, so in addition to buying three days worth of rations, would it be possible to buy a shovel and like snowshoes or skis or something? Because I assume that we're going to be traversing some hard terrain through the snow. From what you guys experienced in your travels through the Salvier Wood, the trees managed to block a lot of the big snowdrifts from like piling up too deep. But oddly enough, because of the elven wood itself, the snow never seems to build up too much at all. It always stays some degree of like picturesque. You know what I mean? Like it's never like impairing movement as if the woods itself wouldn't allow for that. Okay. Uh, and in that case, just the shovel should be fine. Okay. So, and you wanted to get three days of rations. Anybody else buying rations? Yes. Yep. Oh. I've got nine, so I'm good. How much was everybody else buying? How many days was it again? It was five. Yeah. Um, I'll buy three more too. That should be fast. I'll buy two more. Okay. So in total, it's going to be four gold. And because the whole group of them know you, uh, Norhill, they throw in a shovel for free. I'll give the four gold. Radio, and because they know Anton as well. You could also try and trade some of your weird elven or your weird gnomish rations if you have any of those still, as a novelty. No, eat them. You could ask them. You could ask the halflings if that was like a thing, and they're like, "Ew, that's like a hungry man dinner." <laughs> I don't like that we just lost our hungry man sponsorship. Hungry man, when that microwave uh, is calling your name, hungry man. All right. So anyway, party gets a shovel and a bunch of snacks, little lunchables for the road. Uh, are we good to go? Yeah. Uh, Drezak does want to talk to the high priest, so. Okay. I'll find a moment when everyone else is busy to go chat with them real quick. Okay, we'll say when everybody's shopping and doing their thing, you may yeah. link off. Okay, and so uh, having been associated with the rest of the party so much, they welcome you in, um, though everybody does seem a little bit like on edge by you being by yourself as an orc in the city, probably the only orc in the city that's not killed, you know what I mean? Yeah, or so, trying to kill. <laughs> they let you in uh, not only to the church and like the inner sanctum here, but a couple of acolytes guide you to the chambers of the high priest. And once they get there, they knock on the door for you and mention that you are there. Uh, the high priest comes to the door and asks in a very polite tone, what is it that you need? Uh, I just had a question about Anton. And so with that, um, he kind of gives a quick nod and he says, ah, very good. Follow me to the study. And so with that, he leads you to like an inner chamber in his room. And it's just a small little locked off chamber here where he kind of pops a squat at his desk and there's a nice leather bound chair up across from it where you can sit down yourself. So I know when he tried to remove the curse, it, it didn't seem to hold. And with that, he nods a few times and he says, so I've heard. Are you more powerful than Anton? He stands up and walks over to a bookshelf as he begins to speak and pulls a very thick leather bound book off a shelf. And he says, one does not measure power in such ways when it comes to faith. Sure, I have more experience and more years in my life, but unfortunately, power when it comes to faith in gods is not something you can measure that way. He puts the book down on the table and he splits it open, uh, digging through the pages here very gingerly. And he says, Anton has great faith with him and he holds virtuous causes close to his heart. I think at times maybe he's a little bit blinded by some of the causes that he holds dear, but I think with time he'll learn temperance. And he opens up to a page that shows... Um, a bunch of stars and constellations on it in this book. And he turns it towards you and he says, my removal of the curse would not have worked either. He slides the book across the table to you and he says, this is not something that the illuminator could potentially cure for this is not something of the newer faiths. This I believe has something to do with the stars. I don't know how it managed to reach our plane. He says, but 
I think from what I've heard of you all leaving and going to the elves, you would find this out on your own, but the curse didn't get removed because it wasn't of this place. I don't blame Anton and I would not be able to do it myself. Okay, I, ju- I just, I have this friend who might be cursed, and it, so I just, you know, wanted to know. And so with that, he nods a couple times, and he says, I see. He says, well, your friend, if they have also been attacked, would definitely benefit from going to the elves and getting to the bottom of this. But I think your friend may also have some bigger things to be dealing with. And he folds his fingers on the table and you can see the blue of the veins in his hands and the yellowed fingernails here as you notice with his hands on the table just how many decades of work this man has put into his faith and battle and stuff like that. And he looks over at you in a, in a stare that's both welcoming and chilling in its confidence as he looks across the table and he says, many seek the light and in many cases they never find it. Many, the light seeks, but they do not open their eyes. And many people bathe in the darkness. He says, I can see the taint on you, and I understand your plight. He says, but I know that you have the intentions of helping others. He says, I myself have the patience to deal with this middle road. I myself and more than willing to do what it takes to do what is right. I'm neutral good. I <laughs> I recognize that you're going through a lot. And I would say to stay close to Anton and learn what you can. Perhaps uh, yeah. he could yeah. learn something from you as well. Uh, uh, yeah, no, but like it was uh, just, it's uh, one, of, one of my friends. So I'll let him know that. He should stick close to Anton. Uh, thanks for seeing me. And with that, he gives a nod and he says, please close the door on the way out. I don't. Yeah, Jarzak leaves it just slightly cracked for like a little too long and then just shuts it. <laughs> <laughs> got him. <laughs> Old guy probably got up. <laughs> making him stand up. Yeah, just <laughs> waits to hear the cheer creak of him standing up to close the door and then closes it. And uh... Chaotic neutral, bitches. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> Very good. Um, so anyway, uh, so, at this point, was there something you wanted to do now? Yeah, no, I'll meet back up with everyone else. Okay, so you go out, and the Anton's probably the one who's approaching the church to give a final ta-ta to Shereel or the rest of the Acolytes or something like that, or at least give a final goodbye. And as you're walking down the hallway to the Inner Sanctum without any Acolytes following you, you see Jarzak as you come around the corner, and he's deep within the Inner Sanctum. So it's not something like, oh, he's just taking a leak downstairs in the good bathroom. Like, no, 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 he's, he's very clearly coming from the high priest. And you two just, like, stop awkwardly in the hallway Finally recognizing that you two have never actually had a conversation. I was just going to (laughs) say. You guys are like, hey, how about that clica, huh? (laughs) Real wild stuff. Heard she got some scissors. Look out. I'm like, yeah, she's she's pretty good at uh, cleaning stuff. Yeah. So anyway, I'll see you around, okay? Yeah, anyway, the good news, high priest looks fine, so there's no reason for you to go check on him. (laughs) Just going to keep walking. Anton sprints down the hall. (laughs) Jarzak says as he just whistles down the hallway. And so as Anton arrives at the room, I imagine you're going to see the high priest at this point. Yeah. He says. So when you get to the high priest's chamber and you you knock at the door and he mentions for you to come into the study as well. And you come in and he's already seated at the table and he's flipping through an old dusty leather bound book that's big and thick and full of pictures of constellations and stars. And he looks up at you as you enter the room and he says, oh, Anton, he says, strange. I was just talking about you. Oh. Your quality report is coming up. (laughs) And we're very worried about your license. 
I heard you're hanging out with a chaotic neutral warlock who worships the one that we try to fight every day. I couldn't help but notice you have yet to stop him as he casts unholy magics on you. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anton gets his severance pay and then he walks out of there. <laughs> no, I'm just okay. So what did you want to actually say? None of that actually happened. Um, oh, okay. He's just going to... He's just going to look and he'll be like, I'm, as you have suggested, I am on my way with my party and I don't know when I'll be back in Glory Wake. I can only hope everything fares well, especially with the planned attacks by the orcs. I wish I could do more, but as is agreed, it'll be better if I do more outside of just town. With that, he takes his glasses off that he was using to read. He puts them down on top of the book that he just closed, and he looks to you in a very Robert California way, and he kind of shifts a little bit uneasily, and he says, Anton, I think what you could learn on your travels is patience. I think balance may be necessary for you, and while I appreciate all that you've done, and your dedication to the cause. I don't want you to worship the light so closely that you're blinded. Don't think of your service to the light as required or a need for life. Think of the need for living to be a reflection of the beauty of the light. Follow not the light to live. Live your life and let the light guide it. And he says... I don't want you to leave your party tardy outside as you party hardy. So he uh, kind of gives you a little knowing old man to a student kind of like little head tilt nod, like get going get out map here. scallion to a 40 year old man. Get out of here, Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Recently, thank you for your guidance. And oh, I'll, yeah. take, Keep that I'll take your it. words. And do my best. And okay. then he bids him farewell and he leaves. Okay. And so with that, the party begin their trek into the Thalvir Wood. Uh, Sirithal is not only a, a gifted guide, but walks these woods as if he's lived probably 500 years in them. He walks it as if it's just a street labeled plainly with signs. Um, but for five days of traveling through the woods, um, you guys are going to have to do some improvisational travel time. So uh, I'll let anybody who wants to go first on this one tell me what they do. As winter is clearly in its decline, it's not as snowy, uh, clearly, because you're in the Thalvir Wood. But the worst of the weather that you get is really tranquil snow sprinklings in the woods that come from the winds kind of letting the, the snow fall between the various branches and leaves and, and pine needles and twigs and stuff. Um, beyond that, the nights are calm. You guys see plenty of wildlife scampering through the woodlands, but that's about it. It's like dead quiet out here. And Sirithal, for what it's worth, every night kind of scampers off in tiger form and comes back later with like, like an hour or so later in the dead of night and comes back as an elf. And he explains this throughout the journey as keeping all of the were creatures away and mentions that the longer that he's spent with this curse, the more capacity he's had to control other animals and to like listen into other animals and speak with them. And so he's managed to find different pathways along the way quicker by following their direction and their uh, assistance. But apart from that, on the first night, he brings back tons of, tons of like berries and roots and shrubs and stuff like that that can be eaten. Um, but yeah including some things that when boiled, like help with muscle pain and fatigue from long treks through the woods. So for what it's worth, he seems to be like very grateful to be amongst the party. And he seems very like with purpose all of a sudden, you know what I mean? He went from being like a caretaker to being a guide. You know what I'm saying? He's not responsible with your lives so much as he has a very firm purpose amongst equals. I see. I think what I want to figure out the most going to the Elven Woods as much as he's going to divulge is 
how long has he had this curse and like the whole taking care of the having like the other weird creatures with him like getting some kind of idea of like what we're going to be walking into when we get into these elven lands so, like so we're not surprised if anyone if he goes in there and everyone's trying to kill him <laughs> well okay so let's hit this with some quick bullet points so first of all he explains uh using that wonderful elven shame face that you guys have come to know and understand very plainly that he actually killed the elder shaman who the bugbears followed on the outskirts of the wood, attacked all of them and controls all of them and feels at this point after having met all of you and dealt with seeing, you know, the party like conflicted about killing him and then saving him and all that stuff. He recognizes the level of like bondage that he placed those bugbears into, you know what I'm saying? And when you mention like how long have they been around he kind of looks as if he's being hit with a wall of like, oh boy, I did eat the entire box of Chips Ahoy in one sitting, didn't I? You know what I mean? Like, he's like, I only had them for a month or two months or so. He's like, but they are of many. He's like, I've had many cohorts and I've had many hordes follow me over the years. And he says that when they die, I find new ones. Um, But apart from that, uh, when he explains the backstory of it, he says, that he can't divulge much of it just because it's not his place to speak of his family in such a way. But instead he just divulges that he was part of a very strange internal elven strife, some bit of an inner family politics. And that when there was a bit of hubbub, he was wounded. And next thing he knew he was waltzing around like this. And he just over time learned how to work with it because he himself has had this curse for about 300 or so years. And so he's just been kind of hanging out like this and doing it and just living outside the uh, city because he's a member of a family that's had some strange political issues. He's not welcome. And because of his stance as a murderer, as he puts it very lightly, uh, he's not welcome within the city and says that it's not even a matter of being in the city that he won't be allowed the spirits that guard Aesiris will like forcibly deject him, haunt him, and try to like give him bad luck to the point that he dies. This airs on the kind of superstition, but from what everybody knows very lightly about elves, they don't have souls in the sense that other spirits do, meaning that when they die, they are kind of bound to where they were born and sort of haunt the land in a way that only their ancestors can see them and only their like family can see them. So him saying this makes total sense. And it's almost even creepier when you hear him say it as if he's like, yo, if I go back home, I will be killed by goats. And it's like, hmm. it gets a lot more weight to it when he says it that way. And he says that if you are to enter there, he says, you're going to need elven guides. He's like, I'll bring you as close as I can. And I'll, you know, speak in Elvish, tell them that you want a guide, say that you have reason to go speak with the Elven council, the Shaysir. And he says that um, it's from a noble house and it's from House Thentil. So, um, yeah, I think that's about it for your questions. And then what was the last question? There was one more, wasn't there? No, I think that was basically, it was really just like, doing oh, yeah. you know, like, Right, if you guys would be killed on the way in. Yeah, he just basically says that you're going to have to submit all your weapons and everything because you're outsiders within the elven land. And for that reason, you're going to have to like be guided in and be on basically leashes with elves. So it's not going to be great, but... What was the uh, noble house, or his noble house's name? Fantiel, like T-H-A-N-T-I-L-E. Fantiel. Perfect. I've been, I've been looking for a ghost. Oh my god. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Ties up the tiger. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. <laughs> and brings him on your back, just like fucking through Bonnie. Just trying to throw the voice in your back, like, I'm totally Sirithal. Come on, ghost. <laughs> here. Oh no, it's the same voice, guys. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> How did he fit in his backpack? Like the gnome made sense. No, uh, no. <laughs> but okay. Um, so beyond Anton asking these questions, uh, who else has got something for the improv travel? Uh, on our first 
night staying in the woods. I imagine we're still taking watches and stuff. Uh, Jarzak will take probably a second watch so that it's pretty dark out. Sure. And uh, which he instantly regrets because Klika snagged third watch, that means. Sure did. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so he's like, I can't even make my clothes that muddy. It'll just be cleaned. But he's going to kind of uh, wander off a little bit into the woods. Sure. Outside the campfire. Yeah. And just be like, uh, I don't know if you're still in my brain, but if you are, apparently the power of the light is too weak to remove this curse. And so you feel an odd humming in the back of your head instead of the itch. And you feel this like warming sensation on your back as if like warm shower water started rinsing down and just painting your back with warmth as if standing with your back to like the rising sun. And you feel this like odd, like grasp come to your shoulders and you hear a voice in your head, totally alien from the voice you had heard before. And it says, not all is lost, Jarzak. If you follow the light, you can find salvation. Do you wish to follow the light to salvation, Jarzak? I, I just... <laughs> I'm kind of getting out of a thing right now with somebody else. It's really complicated. They still got a lot of their things in my brain. <laughs> I need a little more time. I just if you to want a prestitation and chill, we can do that. But I'm not looking for anything too serious. <laughs> I figured it'd be scry and chill, but you know. That's, yeah, that checks out. Scry and chill. Uh, uh, oh, God. Um, I just need to remove this curse. And it says, all can be found within the light, Jarzak. Embrace the light, Jarzak. But the light couldn't do anything about this. And then you feel that warmth in your back. You feel that warmth in your back change to like a hard chitinous pincer as you feel all thousands of little stabbing pains in your back and feel your spine crack a couple times as you begin to bow like a rainbow with your head arcing all the way back to the ground behind you and a cracking lunge. And with that, you feel something strange as if like some booming force of of like heavy footsteps approaching but because you're inverted backwards with your head like upside down you can't really see what it is without having to like kind of do that mental gymnastics of upside downing but you see two large black legs as if from a very tall man come walking towards you but far enough away like close enough that you can't see above the torso when you see these like black lumbering legs come approaching you and you hear the voice again call out a little bit and it says Jawzak, did you really think that I would allow you to speak to such a fragile, weak-minded being? A blasphemer against all I have given you. And you feel both of your arms touch the ground as if nailed to it, and you like distend even farther down, and you hear your bones start to creak almost like old wood. And he says, why did you go there, Jawzak? Wait, why'd I go where? You feel like <laughs> a single a single set of like little chitinous legs moving along you in like a very like rhythmic wave-like pattern as you feel one of those giant centipedes come rolling up your leg and slowly parade onto your chest. And as it continues down onto your throat, you can feel each one of the little tiny dagger points of its feet just and it comes up over your face. And you can see it rear back and look you dead in the face. And you can see its little pincery, you know, fangs there getting ready to nip at you in the forehead or something. And you see the dark legs don't move at all. But it says, you know exactly where you were. And you spoke to the light bringer, the, the, the priest, the high priest Thrail. I just, I'm trying to find a way to remove this curse. You must kill the one who has cursed you. And if not him, the one above, I do not care. But if you wish to be in my servitude any longer, you must be free of this curse. And if you turn to the means of the light ever again, I will abandon you. But your soul will forever be mine. Uh, uh, 
I'll kill him the first chance I get. Who? You got, you got to be a little bit more specific. I'm, I'm naming a lot of names right now. Oh, the light bringer. No, uh. <laughs> <laughs> the centipede looks up at him, then looks back down at you like, are we doing this? Uh, <laughs> the, the one who cursed me. Good. Spare the one that leads you on your chase. He knows much. Learn from him. Use what he teaches you. Kill the one who cursed him. If you are to get anywhere, you must climb and ascend. Killing him will do very little but leave you in this wood alone. And I don't think you could handle killing a few elves. Weak-minded fool. Yeah, you're probably right. But you have what none of the others have. And that is the will. Build to ascend. Oh, yeah. I spare you because you are stronger than most. Not, not in the strength I, score way. I mean, that's kind of laughable, especially for an orc of your dimension. It's, it's a little bit strange. But well, I, I mean, I, I don't have many muscles like the other orcs. I, it's like a lean. Trust me, I know. Uh, yeah. Fact, I, the fact that you chose the hex blade of all things is, is just a little peculiar. I'm sure there's some min-maxing reason why you did it. I, I'm sure there's score somewhere. Ch- Charisma is somehow your score. I don't get it, really. But it's the, it's the addition. Anyway, where I'm, were we? You I was the cutest orc. <laughs> are you getting cute with me right now? <laughs> but when I, anyway, he turns again. He lowers his face into your view as if like you're looking at those legs and kind of almost mesmerized as the blood's been rushing to your head and finally you see a face look down at you that is pitch black darkness with two gleaming points of pure ruby red like pins like little pinpoints of just bright red behind and the face looks to you but because it's so dark with the dark of night you can't see it move forward and it like plays tricks on your eyes how close it gets to you but it says you are blessed by my darkness and I believe in you Jarzag you can do much, but if you fail me, you will be punished for all of eternity. Do not let me down. Uh, okay. So, as if Jarzak's playing Twister by himself out here in the woods and made a bad move on the red circle, you slip and fall onto your back and kind of relieving yourself from that unbelievable painful position. And you look around and see that there's nothing out here at all. But as you kind of roll around looking for that giant centipede, you turn around and you can see that there are in fact footsteps that led up to where you were reeled back. And you can see that there's heavy like inky black like dust sitting in each of the footfalls. Huff it. Yeah, Jarzak's going to scoop some in one of his jars. And as you grasp at it and put it inside one of the jars, it just kind of sits in there, like, without gravity, just kind of swirling about gingerly. And he's going to spank that for later. (laughs) Just... Well, I guess the darkness is helping me towards my goals. (laughs) And he walks back to camp. Like, honestly, I'm kind of a little fucking confused right now. Meanwhile, Click is like, ew, a whole jar of dirt. <laughs> Opens it up. <laughs> like, what? Ah! It's, it's not the only jar of dirt Charzak has, so. <laughs> decoys, Klika, decoys. Because <laughs> uh, he, he's. <laughs> what on earth was that? I'm so sorry. That might get the podcast pulled down. Yeah, there right. we go. For the Venga Boys, is it? Boom, 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 boom. I want Watch you in my room. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Spend the night together, together in my room. Um, now, uh, who's next to the improv on travel? Uh, well, with with that, as Jarzak oh. returns to camp. Uh, he's gonna be like, all right. Well, apparently he he is still here and listening. Let's uh give this a whirl. It just cast darkness to see if it actually goes off. Yeah, you can feel the contents of the jar swirl around hard as darkness. If uh, like you know, 
blooms from around you and blankets the area in darkness. And then he's like, oh, maybe I'm strong enough. And he tries to use a remove curse on himself. It doesn't feel like anything changes. But since you guys have been hanging out with the were-tiger, there's never been any weird jaw distension feelings or anything like that. Like Anton had felt before where the elf seemed to be very guilty and ashamed of what he had done out here. Um, there's been no reason for him to ever try to exert his will over you like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, shit. Apparently, I'm also not strong enough yet. Don't forget it. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, hey so Klinka, we, it's your turn for watch. <laughs> what do we got? Improv crew. Hi-ho, hi-ho. Uh, so I've got one. Uh, so about halfway to the city, so on like the second or third day of travel, yep. Norhill is going to use part of his watch and he'll go find like a decently sized rock or something that's out in the woods. Okay. And he's basically going to uh, graffiti his clan sigil into it. For what reason? Just kind of like a to the elves. That too, but also because <laughs> he is literally walking farther away from home. So I, I, I guess his reasoning would be in case he never actually makes it there. I don't know. Maybe somebody else will walk by that same rock and see that he at least made it this far. Kind of like a Karen Stone sort of thing, like a waypoint yeah. marker. Literally, Norhill was here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we can even say we can even retcon and say Norhill does that on a lot of his watches, where he leaves these things, just kind of showing that, like, even if whatever happens to the dwarves, at least the last potential dwarf out here has been making his mark and wandering about. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I guess last is Miss Klika, correct? Yep. Um, I think we're traveling with Aunt Taseo, right? Yep. Yep. So Klika's gonna sort of just, or Antonea, there it is, uh, <laughs> gonna check in with her, make sure she's like doing all right, is like able to keep up with everybody, all that good stuff while we're traveling. And also, um, I think one of the nights after um, Sirithal comes back um, from doing his Were Tiger stuff, Klika uh, is going to ask him in Elvish if he would um, share some of like the stories of the elves, like fables and legends, songs, that kind of stuff. Stuff that Klika may have never heard before. Sure. I'll say this much. He himself seems very much so ashamed to be speaking of elves in such a way, as if distanced from his culture enough and his people enough that he like doesn't feel welcome to be dis like speaking of these things. But seeing that it's you and the nature of goodwill that you have when you ask him this, he retells the his favorite story which is in Elvish and it's in song form. It speaks of a couple of kids who play um, waterfall. And so I think as he starts telling it in Elvish and Klik is like listening really intently and really enjoying it, she realizes nobody else in the camp can understand Fair what enough. he's saying. And um, she thinks back to before how the whole misunderstanding with the were tiger it seemed like it was because she was speaking with him and elvish and as far as she knows it was because she didn't tell everybody that he was like not going to be hostile anymore and that he was going to help us and uh maybe that's why jarzak ended up attacking him and there was all this other misunderstanding that's uh so uh click is gonna think back to that and sort of like wish deeply that other people could hear or understand what he's saying. And like from that sort of wellspring of like that desire of being able to share with others what she's hearing, um, she's going to cast tongues on um, Sirithal. And so all of a sudden, everyone can understand what he's saying. 
because well, he could have sung it in common, but he just only sang it in Elvish because. Of- he, yeah, so he'll still be saying it in Elvish. It'll just be able Wait. to be understood by everyone. Be- I thought we were all asleep. Well, no, this, so this is just. Yeah, this oh. is when he comes back, like we'll just say with that, food yeah. and stuff. So and time before we, yeah. But the story that he tells, which upon you casting that spell on him, he sort of is taken aback by it, and not that he looks offended by that, but he just says that it's meant to be sung in Elvish. But having well, recognized he, that he himself is surrounded by a goblin, an orc, a human, and a dwarf. He kind of just recognized that he's just one of the flavors of the Power Rangers of the woods now. Well, tongues, it's uh, moreover, when the target speaks, any creature that knows at least one language can hear the target and can hear the heart and can hear the target understands what it says. So he can speak in Elvish and everyone will understand him. Fair enough. He still notices (laughs) that you cast it. So we'll just say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. But like, I'm not asking, I'm not like forcing him to. I'm you have to put yeah, subtitles. subtitles. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Very good. Um, and so with that, he explains the story to you, which it seems like he was gonna tell one story, but as you cast that, he instead shifts it a little bit and he instead tells a different story. And this one is of a, a small child that felt very misled and alone amongst the other elven children for the games that she liked to play were very different than the games that every other elf liked to play. And she ventured off into the woods and found a wellspring with a waterfall leading to the uh, the little pond below there. And she used to stand out on a rock in front of the waterfall, which fell like crystal and left a reflection in the proper amount of starlight or moonlight. And she would stand in front of it and dance. And every night that she would go out there, she found a friend who would be there alongside her in the waterfall and dance and jump around and do the exact same dance as her. And she found a true sense of family there in the waterfall, often her lonesome. And one day when she came to the realization that this was nothing more than a reflection of herself, she was in a way very upset. But the moral of the story here being that the family that she always wanted, the friends that she always wanted were there in herself all along. And all she really needed was that level of reflection that she's good enough by herself. And he really appreciated that story. And he explains to you afterwards, now speaking Elvish that everybody can understand him, he says that it helped carry him through a lot of nights and says that if he met somebody like Klika at some point earlier on, it might have made things a little bit easier on him. But Elvish tales like that gave him the faith to continue. And so... I I think uh, while he's... Because it's still in song, right? While he's telling it. Yeah, I think Klika's going to be dancing along to the mute as he sings and then when he gets to the part where the, the elven child is just uh, has a friend who dances with them she's going to cast mirror image and dance with herself but again you're both just flossing i'm gonna i'm gonna really yeah all all four of us are flossing <laughs> and, he's, and he's just like why but future um but okay and so on the third day uh the party arrives at the ivy hold and you guys drop off antonia off with her brother obroth and to say that the moment would bring a tear to everybody's eye is an understatement as he himself is out tending the uh ivy outside of the fortress but as she walks up these past few days of travel have really worn at her and again it seems like her age is truly catching up to her as she rushes out to him and he, without even like a breath, calls her out by her name. And she says, he says, Debbie. And then she comes running over and he, <laughs> Frank. <laughs> but with that, they have a hugging embrace and he kisses her on the forehead and they hold each other tenderly and warmly, not letting go for quite some time. And Obroth uh, recommends that you guys stay there for the evening. As Clico he resists the urge to join in on the hug. I mean, she could join in. It'd be cool with it. It's a personal moment. <laughs> Clicky just really likes hugs. <laughs> and so with that, they both look to the party and both of them recount how amazing you guys are for what you've done for both of them and the action of bringing you guys all together and them together. And Obroth explains over dinner that night as you guys spend the night there that they have 
found that the darkness that binds everybody within that place and everybody who struggled with it has in the past few weeks felt this strange sense of clarity to the point that nobody really feels the hold of the darkness anymore at all. And instead there's just this strange optimistic standing that they all have. And after hearing the tale of you guys doing what you did, there's no question that it must be that these things are interlinked. Obroth explains later once everybody, you know, all the little stewards there, all the little monks have gone to bed, that this is expected that in a century it will return. And for that reason, those two have kind of the grim realization that they're probably going to have to train a group to be prepared for such an occasion to arise. And they say that uh, not only do they agree to go speak with the queen, but they mentioned that they're going to try to create their own division or force or some sort, a new monk tradition out here built to destroy the darkness and fight strange occultism themselves. And they just mentioned that they would like you guys in some way to give your blessing on such a thing. And they think that it's time to sort of find a new place to begin to teach. And so when morning comes, not only do the brother and sister leave, but all of the monks who are in the procession also leave. And so with that, the whole group of them walk off with all the belongings that belonged in the ivy hold. And as they leave, the ivy hold stands there as a note of remembrance of all of the effort put into positivity and salvation in the dark. And with that, the party heads off into the rest of their travels. Um, at that point, I imagine everybody's pretty solemn on their travels to Air Cerise, and the next two days traveling into the city are a lot more somber and quiet and more like reflective at this point. Um, but the uh, party, when they begin to get closer and closer to the heart of the Thalvir wood, the trees get stronger, taller, thicker, and they're just more robust, as if the forest itself has changed from like a typical wood to an enchanted forest. Um, as you guys travel deeper and deeper within the wood, um, it seems Sirithal begins to get farther and farther from his comfort zone and just mentions that you're going to have to go on without him and in Elvish just demand an entry to the city and ask for guides respectfully. And he explains to you guys that if you are to meet with the Shaysir, that it will be your duty to, you know, make firm eye contact always answer questions truthfully and to be just like upstanding about all of it. That disrespect in the council is punishable with like, you know, being kind of blacklisted and shut out. So it's not a place to be given an attitude, I guess. Um, Don't pull a Krolin. Yeah. So with that, he kind of dips off and runs away, leaving you guys on your lonesome in the heart of this very, very much so thick and robust forest. So how many rations have we used with Sirithal's help and everything else up to no. this point? No, okay. No. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. But you guys are like within half a day's trip outside the city. So would our Elvish speaking friend like to speak up? Uh, Klika lost Elvish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Klika forgot. She's just BSing this whole time. She's been reading body language. Yeah, she's just really like good. I have a friendly elves potion from like way back. Just chug it. At the... this point, we still don't know what it does. We have no idea. Jarzak has more of them, so because you took yeah. the one and I took the rest. Oh boy. But I have no clue what it does. They're going to start just find them and be like, why do you have these? This is made with elf blood. <laughs> yeah, right. This is a performance-enhancing potion. What the heck? Uh-oh. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, Kalika will sort of lead the party into, I don't know, an open glade or kind of an area and then sp speak up in Elvish um, and say... Um, me and my companions are looking for, are seeking an audience with the um Shashir. Would anyone be able to help us with that? 
As your words echo soundlessly off into the distance with the light grease of snow on the ground and all the trees around you, haunting as if massive giants looking over each and every one of you. Moments pass without any sort of notice to what you guys have said um, until finally an elvish voice calls from the treetops down to you and says, Who are you? Speak your name. Uh, I'm Kleeka. Clica Thorelius. And, and who are the, the others in your the, companions? This is Jarzak. He's the big one. And then Norhill's the one with the beard. And Anton's the one with the light. And so with that, from the trees around you you guys can see like what look to be spectral forces arising as wisps of ghostly light uh like but like barely luminescent like twilight comes like almost like vapor out of the snow around until it looks like four individual ghostly figures arise from the snow itself each one of them a white cloaked figure um and each of them appearing to be elvish um, and each of these four elves approach the party and they say, you speak of entry to Aeserese. Is that in common or in Elvish? Elvish. Um, yeah, we'd like to enter Aeserese and have counsel with the Shashir. And with that, they say, provide us with your weapons and all that would do harm within the blessed city of the elves. Uh, Klika looks at the party and says, they, um, they want to hold on to our weapons or anything else that could hurt people while we're in the city. Anton just gives a nod and puts his, uh, what do I have for him? Uh, he puts his beads. <laughs> so I use handheld weapons. One day it's going to come up that it's like, wait, she's got a weapon. And it's just, I mean, Anton's got a weapon. And it's going to be like, oh, this whole thing, I never even use it. Like, come on, ground. <laughs> yeah, I'll just give them my mace and my, um, I can't read, and my crossbow, and my crossbolts. <laughs> These weapons, which I've never been given airtime. Okay, does everybody else hand over all their stuff? I knew this day would come. Yeah, I imagine Norhill hesitates a second, but, you know, he hands over the pick his crossbow, and finally after the longest moment of hesitation the whole camera. Mm. Okay. Klika hands over her stuff without... Yep, two daggers, flicker, crossbow. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Jarzak? What's up? Yep. Jarzak will hand over everything. Okay. And so with that, the four ghostly uh, elves just begin a procession silently into the uh, woods and just walking in an even beat. Um, and slowly over time, as you guys walk following them, you notice that even though it's like midday out here, uh, it's probably going to be about four o'clock by the time you get there, but it is like eternally darkened out here. It is like not dark, dark, but it's like that twilighty kind of dusky dark, Okay. And as you guys continue to walk through this forest, you guys can see small wisps of light kind of flickering among the trees. And every once in a while, you see what look to be almost like ghosts kind of dipping in between trees and whatnot, but only for a split second, only for like a moment. Um, none of them pay you guys any mind. And as you continue farther and farther out here, you see in the distance, the glimmering lights of the city before you. Uh, and it appears as if you have entered the elvish city of Aeserese. Uh, the city itself is made of like ancient marble stonework and the individual buildings are not only built into trees, built around trees and all that stuff, combining marble, crystal and tree together to make some sort of a hybrid of like eternalized, like Greco-Roman, like elvish design with big swooping vaulted ceilings and big bulbous roofs and stuff like that very dramatic with many open windows and stuff like that and what you've noticed is that as you enter this glade the temperature out here goes from being like the bitter cold of winter to a very comfortable temperature no matter where you're standing even though there's still snow on the ground 
Um, many of the trees here still have a lot of their leaves and if anything are already in some level of bloom with small budding flowers and whatnot dangling from individual things. But overall, this place doesn't look like it's got houses so much as like major structures that are all over the place here. And as you guys enter into this place with the elves, they begin to sing a song and like hum in a, in a certain sing-songy tone. And as they do so, you guys can tell that the sound of the river, which runs through Aesiris, almost adds some level of rhythm to it with its running across the rocks and it's crashing against the banks. And as they continue through, you guys hear the sounds of the songbirds additionally continue along with the actual sound as well. Um, but as you guys enter here, you do notice actual elves and they seem to be very confused and scared seeing you guys all enter, but seeing you amongst the elvish uh, procession here, they seem to kind of almost like cats watching strangers in a house, just kind of like peek out of windows and behind doors and whatnot. Um, overall, these elves here are kind of non-discriminate between being wood elves and high elves, and instead just have some sort of a semblance of like, you know, darkened hair, lighter features and things like that, while also some of them having brighter platinum blondes and silvery hair and whatnot. Um, but yeah, and so we end the session with the party being led to the most grand structure of all, hanging from the largest tree in this whole place, a building made entirely of marble with crystal like stained glass windows as the party begins to walk up the marble stair leading around the tree space. Bye. Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks. <laughs>